Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay. Welcome back to another edition of the Ballas and Skeen Show, the Wolverine.com podcast. My name is Chris Ballas. With me, Doug Skeen, Michigan's five-time Big Ten champion, zero-time national champion, but we'll talk about that in a second. And uh, you might have had one, man. Uh, I'll be honest with you, at least one. Uh, if there were a playoff, then uh, yeah. I would have had a great opportunity that year that you tied three times. But, uh, but let me let's start with this, okay? Um, this shows a little bit later than it was going to be. I've been sick for a while, uh, back to well, not full strength, but getting close. But man, I got to tell you, going back to the the Rose Bowl and then to the the national championship game, I was a little bit worried that they were a little too high skiing after that Rose Bowl. The way they celebrated, they had the roses in their mouths and they had the tears and everything. And you're thinking, well, they still got one game here left. And uh, but they came out pretty damn focused for that championship game. Yeah, I don't I don't share your opinion on that one, Ballas. Mm-hmm. I felt like this team that Rose Bowl was a big step because obviously the opponent, the situation, the magnitude of the game in the moment, and the way they performed down the stretch was a dicey at times for sure. But this football team, through everything they'd been through from the beginning of the year with the rotating head coaches to the end of the year and everything else, and the focus that they displayed throughout the course of the year, I felt better about the Washington game than I did the Alabama game. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that uh, that bore itself out to be true. And the results of the game uh, felt like going into the Washington game, they were just going to lean into it and do take care of business, and which is what they did. But what your, your, your apprehension is fair because these are young men that are emotional and, you know, they do read everything that's read about them. But that this football team will go down in history as – obviously the best team to ever wear the uniform at Michigan, but also probably the most focused football team maybe I've ever seen at a college, high school, or pro level. It's unbelievable. It really was. And speaking to my point, I was on the field, so I was watching these guys after the game, you know, in tears and hugging their parents. And, you know, there was just a sense of finality here that, okay, you know what, we did it. And nobody thought we were going to do it and beat the SEC and stuff like that. So uh, all it meant was that they had to turn around and, and, you know, the next day, okay, put that all behind them, uh, which absolutely they did. Uh, I want to talk about one thing that very few people are talking about, man, and that's 
how well this offensive line played without Zach Sinter. Yeah. And okay, this is not, obviously they are better with Zach Sinter in the lineup, right? However, I thought the offensive line played two of its best games when Zach Sinter wasn't in there. Now, maybe that's the product of Carson Barnhart switching back to his normal position and Trent A. Jones being fresh. But I thought those guys on the right side played outstanding football in those last two games. The- there were two. There were two concerns mm-hmm. going into the tail end of the season. Really going back and looking at it from the Penn State game going forward, and those were our tackles. Right, we we had some pressures in that Penn State game, and our edges were soft and a little dicey at times. And the way those two guys performed uh, and and found a way to be good enough at times and and settle down, and they got some they got some help was amazing. Really considering the. Go back and think about that first that first quarter against Penn State, Ballas. It's like, oh, my God, we're not going to be able to throw the football at all. But Sharon Moore and the offensive staff made those changes to get the ball out of there faster, roll J.J. around, and give those two guys a better help, better advantage, put them in a better situation where they don't have to feel like they're on an island. And then, and then obviously, Zinter snaps his leg against Ohio State. And then here's the luxury of depth. Ballas, how many years ago was it we talked about, gosh, can Michigan get a, a starting five that's up to Michigan standards, let alone six or seven or eight guys that can come in and we don't lose a beat? We were some dark years for Michigan's offensive line for many for many of those years, 10-plus years ago. And now here we are, Barnhart, who is a better guard than he is tackle, slides in there and doesn't miss a beat. That's no disrespect to Zinter, but as a group, we don't really miss a beat. And then Trente Jones, who played, I don't know, two-thirds of a season two years ago before he got hurt at Iowa, slides in there and does a really nice job. And it, it, this all is – it's a testament to two things. It's a testament to the offensive line coach, Sharon Moore, and his ability and understanding of his players and what their strengths are and what they can do and what they can't do, but also to that unit themselves and the entire offense. These guys had a swagger and a confidence in themselves and believed in themselves no matter what people like me said or anybody else. And they went out there and they just freaking proved it. It was an unbelievable thing to watch. And you're right. In the championship game against Washington, the pressures and the hits and the sacks were all minimal compared to what we thought they might be going in because Washington had, you know, that number eight kid was had a good had a big game against uh, Texas and we thought, how are we going to block them? But I knew that that Washington front was not the Alabama front, and certainly that Washington front I don't think was the Ohio State front or even the Penn State front. Yeah. And so in, in the end, that proved out. But, again, what Sharon Moore has done with this offensive line uh, since taking over is pretty doggone impressive. Yeah, it really is. And he sets the culture and he sets the expectation too. And those guys love playing for him. And Trevor Keegan – you know what? Uh, he's like you, man. He's not one of those guys that's good at all flowers and everything else. And uh, in the locker room, he said that. What he said to me was like, man, he goes, I don't use this word very much. He goes, that was beautiful. This is not my my style. And then he said, he looks over at Sharon Moore and he goes, this guy here uh, saved me. He said he saved my career. And what he did for me was made me love football again. And you could sense that. Uh, that's the reason that he came back. That's the reason that Zach Sinter came back. These guys came, came back for for one reason and one reason only. You talked about adjustments, okay? They were talking after the game about running some duo, okay, and uh, and how they kind of switched things up. And uh, explain to our, our viewers exactly what that means. And it looks like they were vertically blocking a little bit more and, and uh, really kind of pushing off the ball rather than just holding their positions. 
Well, I don't know what they what they define duo as, but there's not the, the offensive line is 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 complicated, and yet it's not. Mm-hmm. And so, what Michigan's great at, and what they are known for, is gate uh, gap base man on man, so simple simplified blocking. You're going to block down the right side, pull somebody around, and pile up in it's old power football ballast. Mm-hmm. We've talked about it many many times, and and their curveball was always zone blocking, right? Mm-hmm. And then with zone blocking, you're blocking a space. You're not blocking a particular man. You block whoever shows up in that space. And it's a great curveball to throw at defenses. And then off of there, you can start running some RPOs, right? Run pass options. Let your quarterback, your talented quarterback with the legs and your running back options, whoever's back there, start doing some different things. And now you've got a defense sitting back there going, oh, my God, what are they possibly going to run? And so Michigan was able to throw those curveballs at their opponents going back to the Penn State game because I didn't really feel like we it was all that noticeable or all that required prior to the Penn State game because we didn't really play anybody that pushed us into certain corners, but Penn State did. And so the offensive staff makes adjustments because they can because of the talent level of the offensive line up front and their ability to not only physically execute these kinds of things, but mentally be able to switch gears and say, okay, we're going to jump out of our power gap football and into our zone. We're going to jump out of our zone and into our, some of our dual read stuff. We're going to need you to do this instead of that. And because you've got the experience and you've got the talent and you've got the depth, everything was open to this coaching staff. And a good coach like Sharon Moore and Jim Harbaugh and the rest of the coaches – pushed the right buttons at the right times, made the adjustments when they needed to, and it worked. And yeah. yet at times in that Washington game, we were running into a brick wall because I think I think Coach Moore for a while there, maybe two or three series, just said we're going to just run over the top of them. And Washington, you know, spined up a little bit, got a little tough, and we did run the ball real well. And then we made a few other plays, and all of a sudden the floodgates break wide open. Yeah, and Donovan Edwards got going. Uh, good for him, man, because it's been a long time coming. We saw the acceleration, and Mike Hart told me before the game, Michigan's running backs coach, said, Pete, this guy had two off-season surgeries here. People don't understand. You know, it takes a while to get your confidence back. Uh, he had it. I thought that first run wasn't really a great run. He ran into the back of his lineman. He wasn't really patient, <laughs> but the blocking was so good. It was such that he had time to bounce out of there. and, and really So play. so in particular on that play, Ballas, yeah. obviously Donovan busted into the left A gap, right? Yeah. Right between the center and right into the butt cheeks of his guard tackle in there. And maybe that's where the play was designed to go. Maybe it wasn't. I don't know. But what happened there was because the down lineman blocking, in other words, our offensive lineman versus the defensive lineman was so good, we had him occupied. When Donovan made the cut and ran into the back of that offensive lineman, that frontside linebacker there jumped inside. He committed inside to try to stop that run. But because everybody else was blocked and we had a hat on a hat, that allowed him to just peek around the other left butt cheek of I think at that time was Ladarius and all of a sudden there's no one home and when you get Donovan in the open open clear field there's no one that's going to catch him and that's what happened and so yes I wonder going back if he had not made that initial backside blast into his right. offensive lineman would that would that linebacker have been standing there and then he would have had to make him miss and would it have been a different play but it wasn't Right. And because of the kid's talent and his speed, he's just a goner. So it's awesome to see him get going again. And we're going to need to see him do a lot more of that next year in that role in the running back rotation. But this is, the, this again, the depth and the width 
of the offensive weapons that Michigan's 2023 team had allows plays like that to happen. Yeah, and we'll never know if you know if the linebacker uh, was that a bad play on his part. I mean, it looked like he was filling and uh, he was filling. No, the linebacker yeah. was doing his job. I mean, the linebacker yeah. was hanging right. The linebacker was hanging out there where Donovan ended up going eventually. Right. He was hanging, hanging. But when when Donovan made the move inside, the linebacker's got to go make a tackle. So he right. was doing what he was supposed to do. Yep. He just got lost in the wash. But again. The most important thing, because the down lineman is being moved back into that linebacker's feet, that puts all kinds of pressure on a linebacker. Now, flip the flip the script. You saw Junior Colson running around free being untouched. Right. And because his down linemen are not being you know, in, knocked into his lap, and so he's got space to run around and make plays. This is what happens when you move people off the line of scrimmage. Yeah, Great things they, happen. And they certainly did. We're going to talk about more about that in a second. First things first, though, I want to talk about Lewis Jewelers. Serving the Ann Arbor and Detroit region since 1921, Lewis Jewelers' reputation and continued success stems from our belief that a successful jewelry store is built on integrity, quality customer service, and quality products. I can attest to that personally. I bought several things there for my family. Uh, Lewis Jewelers is a proud partner of the Wolverine and Michigan Athletics to ensure every client that walks through their doors or peruses a virtual store is taken care of. They have a non-commissioned, that's key, non-commissioned trusted advisor team that's always ready to provide professional experience, advice, and expertise. No pressure, no commission. Located in the bustling city limits of Ann Arbor, Michigan, Lewis Jewelers proudly serves the Ann Arbor and surrounding southeastern Michigan communities by providing an exquisite selection of fine jewelry, as well as excellent customer service to its residents and visitors. Visit them at their location at 300 South Maple Road, Ann Arbor, or online at lewisjewelers.com. I'm going to send you over there to get something for Tracy when we're done here. So... um, (laughs) <laughs> All right, I want to talk. Uh, I want to talk about that that Washington offensive line because uh, I was talking to the Michigan guys in the locker room after the game, and the fact that uh, Washington had won the Joe Moore Award certainly had their attention. Mm-hmm. Trent A. Jones basically said to me, "F him," you know. Uh, that was the only <laughs> thing he said, and. That's, a, that's an appropriate response on the Yeah, I, I probably would have felt the same way. Right, point. right, exactly. And uh, <laughs> Trevor Keegan was a little more diplomatic, and he said, "Yeah, I got our attention." He said, "We wanted to. We dug deep down, and we said, okay, this was our award the last two years. We think we're better. We're going to play like it.'" And they certainly did. But you saw going into that game that that Washington offensive line. You said in our little text chain with uh, Mullet Punter, Chris Stapleton there, that <laughs> these guys were not all that and uh, not compared to some of the offensive lines <laughs> they played this year. No, I, I didn't think so. Just looking at the matchups, I think in rushing offense, Washington was like 44th in the country. And and I think the, the offensive line of Washington was good, not great. Uh, the kid that's playing left tackle for them, their most talented player is going to play guard in the NFL. That was not a question. But the rest of those guys looked like, to me, you know, average, above average college guys, scrappy dudes, some, some dudes that played hard for sure. I think their one guard uh, maybe was living on the edge of a couple personal fouls, which I always appreciate watching out of a, a offensive lineman. But as a unit, I thought, our defensive front versus this offensive line, I like that matchup all day long, and it certainly it certainly showed up to be true. Um, and so so I can understand absolutely how the Michigan offensive line, and if they watched any of the television copies and, and listened to how wonderful people were slobbering over this Washington offensive line, probably got a little red ass, and they should have because Michigan, you know, it's, it wasn't Michigan's fault that we didn't play anybody until the Penn State game. 
Michigan was a foregone conclusion for two-thirds of this football season, and everybody just was like, yeah, check the box, Michigan won. Yet other teams had more high-profile games, which means the national media is jumping on board with the bandwagon and promoting them and telling everybody how great they are. And meanwhile, Michigan's just beating up at a bunch of bad football teams. I think that hurt the chances of the Michigan offensive line getting that third offensive line award uh, in a row. And so, but it's fine. I'm sure every one of those guys will gladly let Washington keep their cute little award in exchange for the national championship uh, undefeated season that the offensive line at Michigan is going to enjoy for the rest of their lives. Yeah, the major award, the leg lamp. Uh, <laughs> the leg lamp of college football. But they were appreciative when they won it two years in a row. And they Sure. So um, let's talk about that Michigan interior line, man, because I know as an interior offensive lineman, uh, you used to talk about – you knew early on in a game when you had a battle coming. Uh, a lot of the time was with those Polynesian kids who were absolutely massive and, mm -hmm. and dominant and never quit. But they got two of those now in Mason Graham and Kenneth Grant and mm -hmm. Chris Jenkins, too, who doesn't get enough credit here for the kind of year he had just because he wasn't putting up huge numbers. But uh, you look at those three. To me, that is the best interior lineman line I've ever seen at Michigan. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's guys, boy, it's got to be up there. I mean, every part of this football team will look back on and say, well, "Is that the greatest unit ever?" But interiorly, so when you when you play offensive line, you think you got to, you know, you've got, you know, if you're playing against a four man front or even an odd front with a nose guard, you've got to block somebody in the, in the center guard area, the the a gap area to the outside eye of your right guard or the outside eye of your left guard. Who are those three dudes that you're going to have to contend with? And most of the time, Ballas, when you go into a game, you, you might have one that's great. And you go, man, we're going to have to, you know, double team him really well. But but the feeling is usually that's one guy, you know, myself and my, my line mate here, we'll handle this and we'll get him moved out of here. One of us will get to the linebacker and we'll be fine. The other guy, he's got this, you know, average other defensive lineman to deal with and he can handle him one-on-one -on -one depending on what the play is. No problem. When you got two guys in there that are a major problem that you don't know that you can block easily with with who you got and the matchups aren't equal, now all of a sudden you're going, oh crap. Now I got two dudes to deal with and who do I who do I send my center to? How do I set my formation to try to get the three technique over here and maybe the one shade over here? And how do I want to get this defense to accordingly align so that it gives my offensive line a better shot? Um, that presented problems for Michigan or for Michigan's opponents throughout the whole year and certainly at the end of the year because internal guys weren't able to block them. Mason Graham got held so many times and just flat out tackled so many times. And Kenneth Grant is a – this dude is an athletic freak, Ballas. Mm -hmm. I know you've stood next to this kid. He is bigger than the television shows. <laughs> I mean, this is a big dude who can absolutely fly. And that is scary when guys that big can move like he can. And I'll never forget, for me, the play of the year for him, and there were many of them, yep. the play of the year at Penn State when that kid ran down the running back of Penn State from behind and made a tackle downfield. Unbelievable. And so, you know, I know Mason Graham got a lot of the publicity there at the end of the year, and accordingly and, and legitimately so. But that interior front, dominated the interior offensive lines from our opponents throughout the season, allowed Junior Colson to have the season he had to run free and make plays. The value of having a stout interior defensive line cannot be uh, emphasized enough. Yeah, and Mike Barrett, too, had an outstanding year, too, as a sixth-year guy, so probably ready to retire from football, man. I've got to tell you. <laughs> hey man, that's a tough what 
I'll say this. You know what? He seemed, you know, when he came back for his sixth year and all his buddies are gone, and this is, I credit him for this because now you're there with a bunch of guys who came in who are still your teammates and your brothers, but you're the old guy in there. And they were making old jokes and stuff like that. <laughs> oh, you got gray in your beard and so on and so forth. And I remember seeing him in May at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when they did their tour of the East Coast and came back through Cleveland. And you know what? He was kind of sitting there by himself. And I'm thinking, man, does you know what? Is, is he really going to be into this? And, you know, and, and sure enough, man, this guy is now the captain of a national champion. Can't really put into words what he meant to this program. Yeah, I think it's it's a, it's an indicator of the character of this football team and guys like him who there was still something to give, still something to go get and a team to be a part of. And if you look at the contributors of this football team, it's so much different than when we played Ballas in that, you know, back then it was heavy, heavy, heavy juniors and seniors running the show. And maybe, maybe a special freshman made their way on the field and college football has changed so much, but this team in particular, heavy experience out there, heavy veteran uh, emphasis out there on the field for sure uh, with guys like Barrett and others, but they complimented the young guys that were sprinkled in there on the field when they had to be. Yeah. And so what what we don't see this is and this is the impact of a player like him. We already we know what he did on the field. It's obvious. We can measure it. But what players like him and so many others do to the young guys during the week in the practice sessions, in the training sessions, this is how programs ascend to the top of the game and stay there because of the impact during the week that is not on television that they're having on the young players to show how it's done. And players like him will be remembered forever because of it. And Mikey Sainer still, who is, will go down as one of the best defensive backs that Michigan has ever had. Ever. This is a guy that moved from, from wide receiver and in his last two years was unbelievable. And I remember his teammates saying, well, Mikey, you know, the receivers, Mikey knows the plays and that's why he's so good in practice and so on and so forth. <laughs> this kid, A, spent a ton of time on film, but his instincts were unbelievable. Great tackler. And uh, for all the picks that he had, man, this guy, I remember Mike Zordich telling me, you know what, uh, I wanted this guy. And when he was a cornerbacks coach here, and he said, I wanted this guy on defense. And we were kind of arguing back and forth which side of the ball because they loved his film so much. This kid was something else, man. Uh, this kid literally, uh, he, you know, he doesn't have the measurables of a Charles Woodson, right? And he's the Ty Law type of thing. And But he's going to be playing in the NFL for a long time. And he's going to be one of those guys that, okay, this guy is going to be remembered forever as one of the greats. So, love so Ballas, I, I, everything you just said is absolutely true. We've said this before. You've heard me say this before. Sandra still, if there's a picture of a football player, he's in the list. He's, he's in the poster of what a football player looks like. And I just was thinking, you know, we see the Charles Woodson highlights, the punt return against Ohio State, the interception, the Rose Bowl, and, and many other plays. I can't think of a Michigan defensive back who will have as many highlight plays that we will see for the rest of our lives in Michigan uh, telecasts where they go back and show the big moments of previous big plays against Ohio State, against Penn State, in these big championship games, Sandra still is going to be in the middle of a lot of those. Yes, so historically is. speaking, we're going to remember this kid forever for what he did in Ann Arbor in that uniform because of the huge moments. Think of the, the knock ball out of Stover's hands down there at Ohio State yeah. two years ago. Yeah. Game game changing plays. And you you mentioned it in your commentary there about him, his ability to one-on-one -on -one tackle. And so often you see a college offenses hike the ball, sling it out there as fast, get it in the hands of your playmaker. 
And what are they what are they asked to do? Make the guy miss, get upfield for a first down or more. But when he's out there, when Sanders still's out there, throw the ball to him, dude's going down with a one-on-one tackle every yep. time. Yep. That is huge. Yep, unbelievable. Uh, and credit to Jesse Minner. They're probably going to lose him to the NFL. Uh, this guy has eyes on the NFL, and I can't blame him. Uh, but what he has accomplished here and that game plan, uh, what was it? Was it a combination of the defensive line? Because they didn't blitz a whole lot in that Washington mm-hmm. game. However, they still pressured this kid, Michael Penix, and you see him walking up the, the tunnel at the end of the game. And for me, oh. with my attitude, I'd be like, get that bleeping camera out of my face. <laughs> they followed him the whole way, right? And this kid's just like, get me the hell out of here. Yeah, he's um, beat up. Okay, so was it was it a combination? Because I thought really they mixed up the defenses extremely well, too, and really did a lot of confusing of Penix where he didn't know where to go with the ball. Well, so in the Rose Bowl, Michigan did a great job of a lot of line twists and mm-hmm. combination linebacker blitzes that kept that offensive line of Alabama in a state of confusion for good chunks of that football game. In the Washington game, you're absolutely right. Very little blitzing. And I, I here's what I think happened in that week of preparation. They said, okay, this line, this offensive line of Washington is good, not great. I'm challenging you, the Michigan defensive line, four of you dudes are going to get to that quarterback and we ain't bringing help because we don't think we need to. And they obviously did, right? I think you mentioned earlier uh, Trente getting upset about you know, the Joe Moore award going to the Washington offensive line. How do you think that, in fact, impacted the preparation of the Michigan defensive line and what they were thinking about going into this football game clearly it was four against five or five and a half if they left their six, if they left their back or their tight end to help. And we beat the crap out of their quarterback <laughs> by rushing four dudes. Mason Graham, uh, um, our edge rushers, McGregor was doing a nice job with pressure. Uh, Harold, all, all of these guys collectively, every single one of them is just pressure, pressure, pressure. And eventually they turn into a hit and a hit and a hit. And as you and I have talked about so many times, Ballas, if you want your quarterback to have a good day, you got to keep him clean early in the game. We were hitting him early in the game. Yeah. And that knocks every good quarterback off his perch. And Penix was no different. I felt mm-hmm. bad for the kid because he got physically bludgeoned out there and had to walk off the field in a disappointing fashion. But boy, my my lord. Michigan feasted on that offensive line of Washington, and which was a pretty good line. Yeah, it was a really good line, the Joe Moore Award winners. So, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> the best line in the listen, country. You know, okay, I'll, let's just say it. I, how do you give the how do you how do you give the award to that offensive line? Well, like I said, their rushing stats. We can go back and look at NCAA stats. I don't know where they finish. Yeah, in the total uh, rushing categories for college football for 2023. But if come on, you got to run the football better than they did to give them the award. Now maybe because yeah. they threw 700 times per game and their and their and their pressures and sacks were low right. against opponents. But I, I, you know, I not only do I think our offensive line was better than theirs, but I could probably point to a few other offensive lines I watched in the course of the season, which I think was better than theirs. Yeah, I would agree with that. So it is certainly a subjective award. So, and Michigan didn't earn it for the third year in a row. They didn't run the ball as well as they could have until those last few games of the year when it really mattered. So, uh, all right, let's talk a little bit about the guys who've left and everybody's like, well, no, you know, everybody's leaving and that's going to be the end of it and so on and so forth. And I understand when you lose a lot of talent that people are going to say that number one, I don't begrudge these kids leaving on top. Like they are. If you look at guys like that could have come back for another year, a 
Jalen Harrell or Braden McGregor, you go right down the list. I mean, Carson Barnhart could have come back for a sixth year, but they've accomplished everything they've wanted to here. Why not go out on top? Am I right? I mean, I understand yeah. both sides of the argument, but, but man, these guys have reached the pinnacle. There's, there's, it's easier for fans and even some of us former players to forget or not understand how much of a, of a, of a drag physically and mentally it is to, to be all in on a football season at Michigan or any of these other big programs. And so you've been there for four years, maybe in some cases, three years, there's a physical toll on your body. If you've already got your degree or maybe you've exceeded your degree and you've even got some graduate classes it's a huge, huge deal to say, I'm going to come back for one more time. And some guys do it because they don't ever want to leave Michigan. And that's fine, too. But I understand why a lot of these guys are leaving. And, and I think the era that we remember from all the years ago, Ballas, where we just to think, you know, well, the only time a guy leaves college early is if you know you're going to be a number one draft pick. Hmm. Well, that's changed, too. A lot of guys leave college early thinking they're going to be a third round draft pick or a fifth round draft pick. They just want to get into the NFL. And, and so when you've done what you've done at Michigan, you've, you've conquered the Big Ten ladder, you've gone on now and you won the whole thing, there is nothing left to go get There's you know, as a team thing. And so I, I understand when, when, when guys are ready to go and they've, they've turned the page, it's okay. And for all of all the Michigan fans and, and myself, I still fall into this a little bit. I think, oh, my gosh, who's, what's going to happen to next year's team? Well, the next guy's going to step up. And this mm -hmm. is what a healthy Michigan football looks like because of the depth, because of the talent that's on the team. Michigan should be just fine going forward in the future. Now, we can look at all what's going on in college football and go, oh, my gosh, Michigan's not this and Michigan's not that. And there may be a legitimate argument there. But – the health of this football program is right where it should be. And so I, I don't worry too much about it. There will be future football players in Ann Arbor that are going to be pretty doggone good. Yeah, and including next year, and I'm going to go down the list. I'm going to start with five kids that could be first-round draft picks. And Mason Graham, Kenneth Grant, Will Johnson, Colston Loveland, Donovan Edwards if he gets it together. You've got Keon Sab out there at safety who played great. Rod Moore is coming back. Okay, so you've got a ton of guys. Gio Alhadi is going to be an all Big Ten player here at guard, right? Left guard, and, yep. Right. Now you got to find a quarterback, but you've got receivers like Samaj Morgan and Tyler Morris who have been waiting in the wings. Tyler mm -hmm. Morris was a top 100 kid overall. That's how good he was and high, how highly thought of he was coming out of school. Samaj Morgan, we saw him do some things. He's got to temper the attitude a little bit here. You can kind of see that with him. And, uh, but that's okay. You know, I'd rather have it that way than a kid that's not confident enough. So uh, you're talking about a lot of talent here coming back, right? And you're talking, wait a minute, Derek Moore, Josiah Stewart. Okay. So they aren't going to have the depth that they had this year. Uh, mm -hmm. And you know what? 15 and 0, you need that kind of depth probably to win a national championship. So don't think I'm going out on a limb here to say that this team's probably not going to win a national championship. But there's yeah. a lot of talent on this football team. There's two things that this football team will be seeking and will be needing. Uh, number one is obviously the depth you just mentioned. The second thing is the experience, right? There's a lot of guys that have played a lot of football in Ann Arbor that are coming back, but it's the combination of the depth of the unit. Think of the offensive line specifically. This is what I pay a lot of attention to. We're basically going to have a whole new offensive line next year. Al Hadi would be the one with the most experience to come and play. Crippen at center 
has played some football at Michigan, maybe not a lot of football in the biggest of moments, but played football at Michigan a long time. And there'll be other guys that are going to filter in there too. But collectively, for game time experience, they're not going to have what the previous group had that just left. It's kind of like 32 years ago, whatever it was, when our group left, we were all seniors. The next group that came in had played a ton of football but didn't have the experience, and there's something to say about that. But that's what your early season, uh, not and especially the non the non conference games, are the benefit of. And with next year's new format, and the season's not over with if you lose one game, right? They got a big one against Texas in week two next year, yeah. and so uh, it, you know there's there's other factors that are going to weigh in here that are going to allow this these newer faces in this lineup to blend with the experience that is coming back. And so it's not, it's not a red flag here. And yes, Michigan's going to have to find a quarterback that can do some things. And we're all going to compare him to JJ. We're going to all going to compare him to who the best players ever were that played there. And we're going to go, he's not as good as JJ was. And that's going to be unfair, but it is what it is. Yeah. And so Michigan's going to be all right. And, and, the culture that's inside the building is the one unknown that you can't put on a screen and measure that is the most valuable thing that Michigan has right now. And so the biggest question in my mind as we go forward next year is what's the head coach situation going to be? Who's the staff going to be? And is the culture stay intact? Because yeah. you can lose it, Ballas. If you yeah. lose the culture and you lose the understanding of the team, and sacrificing for your team and what it takes physically to prepare and play and participate in a team, if that goes away, then the big, big problems come in. I don't see that happening. Not with, right. Not with the culture that these guys have left, like you guys left for the guys before you, and they left for you after they left, so on and so forth. So uh, I didn't mention Kalel Mullings coming back either. Am I wrong to think that this kid – I want to see yeah. if I get some more carries. Every time yeah. he carried the ball, he looked like he was on a mission, man. He reminded Strong. me of of a BJ Askew type guys like yeah. that, that could really, you know what, we're probably, I really would have liked to see him get more carries at the same time. You got Donovan Edwards and, and Blake Corum in there, but this kid's going to do some things next year. Yeah. He's going to be absolute part of it. I mean, right now on paper, obviously it's Mullins and, and Donovan, right? right. It's, pretty, it's a pretty good combination uh, to get on the field, but he's a strong player, fell forward, carrying linebackers. And so, uh, you know, it's a big, strong dude in there, physical type runner, fits perfectly in the program. The question I would have is, can he catch the football out of the backfield? Is he yeah. that dynamic? Yeah. And he'll have his own strengths. But again, check the box. Again, Michigan's got talented guys. Yeah. And this offensive staff, whatever it looks like next year, will find ways to get him where they need to be. I'm assuming Mike Hart's going to be the running back coach next year. And maybe even the offensive coordinator. Who knows what's going to happen? Right, We're going right. to find out here in the next, you know, month and a half, I suppose. Yeah. But I don't. I don't think Mike's going anywhere. And Mike Hart is a great, great running back coach. He is. Chloe Mullings had that nice catch on the sidelines against Ohio State. You asked if he could catch. I don't know if you remember that one. Oh, that's right. So, you know what? He's got some hands, too. So, it's going to be fun. Let's talk about the elephant in the room here and Jim Harbaugh. And as we talk here, what's the date today? I'm trying to figure. January 22nd. January 22nd. Yeah. uh, We still don't know who's going to be coaching this Michigan team. You've got Ohio State out there trying to buy a team. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, <laughs> buying every, and we were talking about this yesterday too. And it's just like, man, you know, we this they're talking about desperate times, uh, leading to desperate measures, man. Hey, it's unbelievable what this is. Ryan, Ryan Day is all in. Can you imagine the pressure on this guy next year? Right? Right. Oh my gosh! I mean, all the guns are pointed at him. Either yeah. win it all, or you're dead. Right. Uh, so good luck with that, Coach Ryan. But here's mm-hmm. the thing that I observe when I look at Ohio State. And I say, okay, they're, they're, 
They've never been without incredible talent on the edge of their offense. And clearly, Ohio State has had that through the decades. Good grief. And, and, and as recent as last year, NFL, top-level NFL talent at the edge in the wide receiver positions. They got a really good running back who said he's coming back in Henderson. Their defensive end is coming back. The other kid who had a good Cotton Bowl game, Sawyer, is coming back. It's all fine and great. Ohio State can get all the talent that they want and dudes that are carrying the football and on the edges of their offense. Their offensive line is their issue. They need offensive linemen that are going to be of the, of the mold of other great offensive linemen we've seen from Ohio State. And quite honestly, they don't have it. They didn't have it last year. They didn't have it in the bowl game. And I'm looking at Ohio State going, who's going to be their starting five up there? Because you can have all the studs you want. Michael Penix found that out, too, in the game against Michigan. If your offensive line can't keep you clean, I don't care who your quarterback is. I don't care how great your wide receiver is. So Ohio State, go load up on your skill guys all you want. Because yeah. the real skill guys is all that matters in the trenches. Now, they got a decent defensive front, and that's all right for, for the Buckeyes. But, um, hey, Ryan Day, if you think you're going to win your nest, yourself a national championship chasing dudes on the edge that are uh, tall, fast, skinny guys, yeah, good luck with that. And they've got the boosters just ponying up because they hate Michigan so much. <laughs> they hate losing to Michigan so much. <laughs> this is three years in a row. And now the, your, your rival just won a natty. And the asterisk is gone, right? I mean, yeah. that, that narrative has just been blown out of the water, right? Yeah, when, that's – you know, the, 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 the thing that seemed to hang on there, because there were a few commenters there at the end of the season about Michigan's controversial, whatever. I think people forget that the controversy, if there was one, was out of the – the horse was out of the barn last year. Yeah. All the allegations of sign stealing, the, the coaching community knew about this the year of 2022. Yeah. The year of 2023, every one of Michigan's opponents knew that maybe there was something going on and we need to protect our calls. You and I talked about that in the season when this thing blew up. And I don't care whether you're playing Michigan, Ohio State, USC, Texas, it doesn't matter. If you're not mixing up your signals and the way you're communicating on the field, and the way you're calling things up the offensive line, if you're not mixing it up and throwing some dummy calls in there to keep a defense honest, then you are the lazy dumbass. Yeah, and Michigan State obviously didn't know. They, I guess they hadn't changed their signals in four years. And, and of course, their president was chagrined by the uh, allegations. So, uh, boy. And then Michigan goes out there and kicks her ass 49 to nothing when they, we have your signs here, here we could get, we'll give you our signs and we'll still beat you 49 to nothing. So, yeah. but uh, it's been fantastic listening to the silence after this. Rich Eisen put, put it best. I, I don't know if you've any watched any of his podcasts. I, I have seen some of his commentary and is, is a lot of silence. I've got a lot of Buckeye friends, a lot of Buckeye customers, and we, yeah. have, we have a healthy conversation about this rivalry. Mm-hmm. And um, there's not much going on. Just just as there was, Ballas, just four or five years ago, there wasn't much for me to say. You know, right. Then your team's better than ours, and you know you rubbed our nose in it. Yeah. Now we're down. The coin is flipped, and uh, Ohio State appears to be doing everything they possibly can to flip the script, except getting kick-ass offensive linemen, <laughs> which is kind of key. <laughs> so, do you have anybody, any of your Buckeye friends, still saying, "But you cheated, but you you stole no. signs"? No, no. I, you know, maybe, maybe as a joking matter, but right, right. Sin- sincerely, no. Yeah, it's been fantastic. So they got another quarterback, too. They got a bunch of quarterbacks. Maybe some of them can line up at safety, like Eric Bush back in the day when you had a bunch of uh, quarterbacks yeah. and you had needed – You know, and I feel them. bad for the – I was watching the Buckeyes play against Missouri in the, in the in the bowl game there. They threw the young kid in there to play who clearly wasn't ready. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the transfer this, transfer that. That kid's out, right? His career at Ohio State's over. 
Oh, well. They just went out and got some other guys, and and now that kid's probably going to transfer, and off they go and yeah, make better I, decisions, dummy. You know, I'm sorry. I'm just, I, I, <laughs> no. I just, uh, you know, I I still struggle, Ballas, with the understanding of what college football is evolving into in this wild west of unrestricted free agency. And when I say unrestricted, not in the NFL sense, but just in the in the manner that that the players and the and the the capless salary cap that's out there. Yeah. And, and like Kirby smart said, you know, after the Florida state game, something has to be addressed in our sport, right? Yeah. I don't believe this to be sustainable. I don't think it's healthy for the programs or the players, even though people will argue that, but this doesn't seem to be the long-term answer. Um, and I, and I, I just look at the individual level of the, of the, you know, the kid at Ohio state as an example. Yep. He was he's supposed to be the future quarterback for Ohio State, maybe. Well, now all of a sudden, in a matter of three weeks, a month, yep. suddenly your future at Ohio State is over because yep. we went and got somebody better. Because yep. there's nothing stopping us from doing that. Yeah, it's a joke. And that's why I love this Michigan team so much. You get guys that were playing for the right thing and they were playing together, stuck together. And uh, maybe this is the last type of team that we see like this, you know, that's not built out of the portal with one year guys and everything else. There were a couple. Don't get me wrong. You know, they fill yeah. these spots, but man, and I think guys, I, if I think yeah. that that point right there, Ballas, is is the one that I, I look at and I say, okay, there's there's two strategies to build a champion in college sports now. One, you can just try to piece together an NIL portal, pay the guys, and just piece together a team for a one year run, or you can try to build through recruiting and building a culture, and then complement your roster with a player or two off the portal. Right. I don't think that the first is the long-term strategy that has the kind of special sauce in a locker room. I think, I just think it's harder to get that magic with a bunch of dudes who are just missionaries for one year. Right. And they may be gone the next than it is to, to build a culture that Michigan has continue to fill in the holes with the right guys that understand the culture. And then you compliment a piece or two. If I were a coach, that's the style of program that I would be running. Because I'm not sure that the first one's going to work. No. Last thing here we're going to talk about is Jim Harbaugh here flirting with the NFL again. Uh, you know what? This is this guy's dream, it appears to me. Uh, I do not begrudge him this. And I understand, you know, no man is bigger than the program. But at the same time, when, you're, when your players are saying, you know what? If he wants to go to the NFL, he's got a dream like I do then he should go and pursue it. Now, yes, it's hurting the program in the short run, but it's hard to argue that it's hurt the program in the last three years when you've won three titles. Yeah, so this is this is the annual Jim Harbaugh to the yeah. NFL season, right? It's yeah. it usually lasts about three to six weeks. It's, January. It's exactly yeah. it's it's January and half of February. Once the uh, NCAA coaching convention, usually mid February, yeah. something like He's, that. Yeah, and he won't sign a contract until February fifteenth. He said everybody. They said he's basically told them, "Hey, I'm not. You know what? You can." Even if you give me everything else I want, I'm not signing till February 15th because I want to see what the NFL has for me. Yeah, and uh, so I, you know, I think a lot of people understand Coach Harbaugh going back to his playing days, and we've talked about it before. Maybe one of the most fierce competitors to ever walk the face of the earth. I mean, when we joke around as parents about beating our kids playing a game of horse or pig in the in the in the parking lot there with your kids playing basketball or a game of sorry. Um, you know, as when your children are young, they say, you know, maybe you should let them win a little bit. 
I don't ever suspect that Jim Harbaugh was that kind of father or that kind of guy. This dude wants to win at a game of darts at the local bar over a beer. And if he doesn't win, he's probably pissed. Right. And so this is just who the guy is. And that's okay. And so for him to now set his sights beyond college football and the mountain that he's conquered of college football and try to go chase a Lombardi trophy, which he was this close to getting before, makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, He's been there, done that. I don't think this is about money anymore. I think money complements the, the, the accomplishments that he has now displayed. And documented, and he's got you know the contract sitting on his desk to make him the highest paid coach in college football or one of the top guys, whatever. But I don't think that matters to him. I think what matters to this guy is the next trophy and putting himself up there at the at the table with only a few dudes who have ever done both, right? Yeah. And his brother is on the verge of going and getting another uh, Lombardi Trophy. I think I think if the NFL will do it, I think he absolutely will leave. I will go. Yep, you know he. He's, he's gone, and now we're moving on to Coach Sharon Moore, which I would expect to be the next head coach at Michigan. Well, um, I'm really in, in, in interested in who his staff will be if Jim leaves, how many guys will go with Jim, and how many guys are going to stay, and who's going to run the show in Ann Arbor. And whoever it is, if it's Sharon Moore, i got a good feeling about it. I do too, and uh, because I think most guys will stay. They love him. They respect him. As long as the NIL is up to par and it's getting better. Have you contributed some of your NFL millions yet? I just want to put. I'm not yeah, I, wrote, I wrote a check for fifty fifty million dollars. Fifty million. There you have million. it, folks. Yeah. There you have yeah. it, folks. Doug Steen single handedly <laughs> keeping Michigan's nil hopes alive. So, uh, last thing, man, watching Aiden Hutchinson and the Detroit Lions has been special. A buddy of yours, obviously, Chris Hutchinson, uh, a guy whose career I followed and who I have great respect for. But to see his kid go out there and be part of this culture change, a doesn't surprise me. B, this Dan Campbell guy might be a meathead who makes emotional decisions on the field, but he knows how to build a culture. Yeah, it's it's amazing to see what happens just in a few short years. Uh, I was sitting watching the game last night with my wife, and, and she asked, you know, it's amazing. She just made a comment. She said, it's amazing that the Lions are one game away from the Super Bowl. And I said, you know, it's amazing what can happen when you when you recruit or pro personnel for football players. Yeah. Instead of flashy chrome pieces that look good in shorts and, sh- and t-shirts on some uh, combine drill, and the Lions for decades overpaid guys on the edge, and then here comes a new general manager with a support staff with Chris Spielman on that staff, who's just these are football people, and the owner, right, uh, Mrs. Ford, hands the reins over, and Bill Ford Jr. Oh. <laughs> Excuse me, Ballas, sorry. Okay. Steps away, and and the and the leadership and ownership says, let's hire some football people to get football players with a football coach who understands how to put guys in position to have success. And look what happens. Yeah, it's 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 great to see it finally happening in Detroit. Aiden is part of this thing, certainly part of the culture of a group of guys that they've brought in that are just flat out football players. There's so many young stars in this football team. They should be good for a while. I think they need to re-sign the left guard, Jonah Jackson. I think that kid's really good, but their offensive line is nice. Frank Ragnow is one of the best centers in the league, obviously all pro and should be, but good grief, the Laporta guy. I mean, so the, the difference is ballast. I think I think you and I could, could go to an NFL war room and probably pick a pretty good first-round draft pick. You and I mm-hmm. could probably do that. I don't think that's that's very hard. The difference is how do you find guys in the second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth rounds that are actually going to contribute to your team that are going to turn into superstars, and yeah. that is the difference in Brad Holmes 
with his head coach and this staff are doing it. And here we are. And here we are. It is funny, though, you say that about first-round picks and how many of the Lions mucked up. Yeah, you and I would not have made some of those jackass decisions that they made. Uh. (laughs) Yeah, and and, uh, credit Sheila Ford-Hamp. What uh, an unbelievable job she's done, too. So, anyway, uh, it's looking like I might be going out to San Francisco. A buddy of mine's got a ticket for me. Ooh, man, you got to go to that. Yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a one. it could be a a once-in-a-lifetime thing, but at the same time, like you said, young team, you never know. But they remind me of the Patriots teams under Bill Parcells, guys that, you know what, he gets these culture guys, and, and they fit great, so it's been fun to watch. He's Doug Skeen. Former Michigan All-Big Ten offensive lineman, former pro with the New England Patriots. Skeen, I appreciate it. We'll do it in a couple weeks here. Uh, we're not going to take off months here and wait until spring football to get back together again, but I appreciate your efforts throughout the year. Go Blue. It's been fun. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply